My name is Dr. Michaela Keegan Yadley, and I've spent the last 17 years of my career in schools as a teacher and principal. I started the Dissect Ed podcast to help you by using my strengths of connecting and relating to bring amazing guests to you each week. We will cover a wide range of topics related to all aspects of and roles in education. My goal? For you to enjoy and feel successful in your role so we keep amazing teachers and leaders in schools. Thank you for all you do. Take care and enjoy. This podcast episode is brought to you by the 3D Printing Man. Get everything from custom food bowls for your pets to chore lists for your family in more than 15 vibrant colors, all custom designed. Visit his store on Etsy by searching the 3D Printing Man, all one word. Again, that's the 3D Printing Man on Etsy and get 10% off with the code DISSECTED. Are you looking to elevate your classroom management or possibly even just improve it so that tomorrow is a better day than today was? Visit my website at drkeganyadley.com, linked in the episode notes, to sign up for our free one-hour webinar on the five simple classroom management strategies that will work as soon as tomorrow. There's also a self-paced online course with a workbook for more extensive work in the area. Again, that's linked on the website, drkeganyadley.com. Happy Tuesday, everybody. I am really excited to have father-son duo Glenn and Michael Parker with us today. This is actually part one in a two-part series. They have done extensive research and interviews with different leaders in all different types of industries around positive influence leadership, and you're going to learn more about what that is today. And then next time we talk, which is in a couple of weeks, we are actually going to talk about their latest research on what it takes to lead during times of crisis. They've interviewed dozens of leaders in some pretty high stress industries, including education, during the pandemic and have come to conclusions or themes on what it takes to be an effective leader during times of crisis. So I'm really looking forward to that episode. Enjoy tonight's episode. This is very helpful for us to understand what positive influence leadership is and looks like and how we ourselves can be those positive influence leaders. Without further ado, here are Glenn and Michael. All right, so happy Tuesday, everybody. Uh, welcome to another episode of Dissect Ed. This is an episode that I've been waiting eagerly for, a conversation that I know will bring so much value to you, our listeners. We have Glenn and Michael Parker with us today, and I'm going to actually just turn it right over to Glenn for you to start by introducing yourself, and uh, you and Michael can let us know who you are, what you do, and we'll get right into our episode. Okay, well, uh, you know, thanks very much for having us. We're look, looking forward to the conversation. We've been looking forward to it for a while, and uh, so we're happy to uh, be here and to uh, and talk with you um, about it. Um, so, my background is I spent most of almost all of my career uh, as an external consultant in team building and organizational development. Um, so, I, I worked with organizations to create and maintain and develop uh, their teams. And I worked in a lot of 
um, organizations where um, teams were the essential part of their business strategy. Pharmaceuticals being one of the most prominent ones because all of their drug development is done uh, on, on a team basis. So uh, I also worked in uh, organizational development, trying to improve the functioning of the organizations that um, in order to make them more effective and in turn make the teams more effective and in terms make uh, help people be uh, you know, more effective. Uh, over the course of time, uh, I started to put down my ideas on paper and eventually got, got the courage to actually put it into a book. Um, and um, my first book was called Team Players and Teamwork. It was obviously based on the, the, the work that I had been doing and people that I interviewed. And that started me on this journey of being both uh, an author and a consultant. And I tended to write about what I was doing. So, and I, I felt that uh, my contribution could be something things that would be um, specific and helpful because they were based on, you know, real-time experience. Yeah. Um, and I, I've had the opportunity to work with a lot of great people uh, over time. Um, one of the people that I admire the most happens to be sitting here today, uh, my son Michael, who uh, is has a long career in financial services, which he can tell you about. But... Um, we shared a lot of interest in um, management and leadership over the years. And so this opportunity came for us to actually collaborate on a book. So it's been, you know, one of the great joys of, uh, of my life. And uh, so we're, we're happy to talk about uh, what we learned from our journey in regard to developing what makes a, an effective positive influence leader. So, Michael, why don't you pick up the story from there? Yes. Okay. So, uh, <clears throat> I've been, uh, first of all, thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Uh, well worth the wait. Uh, so, I've been uh, in the professional ranks for about 28 years, all, all in one industry in financial services and wealth management. I started um, many years ago as a um, as a professional financial advisor, advising uh, individual private clients on their investments and planning needs. And then I started embarked upon a career in a variety of um, management, leadership, and executive level positions uh, in multiple uh, paradigms, both um, in large Wall Street uh, firms and uh, as well as later uh, a number of ind uh, independent regional firms. And now I work at, a, um, at Rockefeller Capital Management over the last three years. Uh, running a division of the company, uh, primarily focused on leading and growing uh, our business, <clears throat> helping our financial professionals and their clients uh, reach and achieve goals and dreams, um, and at the same time growing and um, achieving the uh, goals around shareholder value. So like like my father said, uh, I was about four years ago, I left a, um, a company and I was on an extended, fortunately, I guess, an extended garden leave. It didn't seem like a fortunate thing at the time, at the time, uh, but it turned out to be a blessing in disguise because I had, uh, we had an opportunity to work together intensely over a six-month period and that extended over a multi-year period on this project, uh, which has been life-changing. Both uh, just the project itself has been uh, one of the most important things I've done um, 
professionally or personally in my career. And also I had the benefit of getting to know um, my father in a different, in a different way. And that's a story yeah. for another, t- another time, perhaps um, if you have a different kind of podcast of working with your father as an adult, <laughs> um, um, so not, not for today's talk, but nevertheless, it was uh, maybe the most rewarding uh, professional uh, personal combination experience other than the you know, birth of my daughter. So um, excited to, to have that opportunity. Uh, it's, uh, and it's really special. Um, and I have a really special relationship with my parents too. So um, it's, uh, yeah, I, I was really excited to have you both here for lots of reasons, but this topic of um, the, the, uh, leadership and, and how to be a great leader um, caught my attention, but specifically when Glenn, when you and I connected, um, one of the, I guess not catchphrases, but the one of the phrases that really caught my eye, and I don't know if it would have caught other people's uh, attention the way it did for me, was you were talking about working on leadership in a time of crisis. And so I know that that's still in the work, and you're you're putting out articles, and you're you're still working on that um, on that research. However. I was like, oh, I'm going to get them now because in education, you want to talk about needing effective leadership in a time of crisis, that's now. And um, I'm sure you don't. Ha- you can read the articles and just you all have to go on, go on LinkedIn, go on Twitter, and you can see everywhere the crisis that we have as far as uh, employees and, um, and everything else with schools. So it is just more pronounced now, but I know that there's an answer and I know that I wouldn't be in the line of work I'm in if I, if I didn't think there was. So I couldn't wait to have you both on because what you write about, what you've researched already is so promising and really encouraging. And I thought, let's put something out there that shows that, no, this can be done. It, it can be led. We can get through it. We can lead through it. We can thrive. And we can come out, not just the other side of the pandemic, but just education in general has kind of been in a crisis moment. So I'd love to get into the work that you do, um, starting with just explaining to our listeners, because they may be familiar with the certain concepts, but the terms, maybe not. You know, Glenn, what is a positive influence leader? Well, let me let me answer that by by telling you a story. And by the way, this is one of the ways that we stories, we, by the way. <laughs> we, we we make uh, we we make our points because we think they they come home in a lot more dramatic fashion is to tell a story, uh, either our own personal story or stories that we've gathered from the research that we've done. It just seems to be so much more impactful for people to hear about how, how somebody's journey. Yeah. And mine um, goes way, way back to my first job out of graduate school it was my first boss, Larry. And now we're in a meeting, Larry and I, and it's my first performance appraisal. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's going pretty well, actually. Um, I'd have to say that the, the job that I had uh, was, on reflection now, kind of boring. <laughs> Basically, what I did is I, I looked up information and I wrote reports. Yeah. <laughs> and then I looked up more information and I wrote another report. And so, you know, he thought I kind of did a good job. but uh, And then it came to that point in the performance appraisal um, your development plan. What do you want to do going forward? And so I had actually prepared for this. 
And what I noticed is that the the people across the hall who were doing leadership training seemed to be having a lot of fun. <laughs> they were traveling all over the United States and Canada, and they were conducting workshops, and they'd come back with, of course, travel stories. And they'd also come back with things that happened in these workshops, and they seemed to be really having a good time. So I said to Larry, well, I think I'd like to you know, try my hand in leadership training and development. And I said, could I observe a class just to see what goes on? So he said, okay. He said, but uh, as a matter of fact, I'm going down south next week and I'm going to be conducting uh, a couple of uh, leadership training workshops. Why don't you come with me? And I said, oh, that, that would be great. And he said, the only thing is that I can't really justify your training expenses, your, your travel expenses, unless you do some training. <laughs> so I, you know, my lips start to quiver. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I, Larry, I don't know anything. So how, how could I? He said, don't worry about it. We'll figure something out. And he did. And we did. And so I conducted two hours on the afternoon of the second day of the training program. I did it twice. And I went, wow, this this is what I want to do. Yeah. This, this is what I want to do. So what happened is that Larry saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. I never envisioned myself doing this. I thought it might be interesting to do, but I never saw myself doing this full time. But he saw something to me that I didn't see in myself. And that's one of the very important characteristics of being a positive influence leader. And so I went on to I completely change the direction of my career and therefore my life. And it's been it was essentially life altering. And I want to say just something about Larry, who happened to be a great guy, by the way. Um, but uh, he was a very basic sort of guy. No one ever confused him with Tony Robbins. He wasn't exactly the most charismatic person, but he had, first of all, good interpersonal skills and he had insight into people, which is really critical for being a leader so that you can develop that in that, in that person. So, um, that's that's kind of my story, and that's I, I think one of the best ways of thinking about a positive influence leader. But um, you know, Michael has his own story as well. I, I thought he was going to talk about me as being a positive influence, but you know, kids are just so ungrateful that, these he days. That for like the real special occasions. <laughs> He'll bring that out once in a while. <laughs> I'll be on like the untold stories. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, Mike. <laughs> so I'm happy to share that story. If you if if you would like, I'm happy to share my own story. If you want to move on to uh, another topic, it's whatever whatever you think is 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 best. Actually, best fit. I think that your story, first of all, stories I think are very powerful. But especially something about my my listeners, and I say this a lot. Um, in the education space, there's like a bubble around us. And I find that because the way professional development and professional learning is usually chosen for educators and for, for school leaders, and then because things are so crazy right now also, we just don't have a lot of access to this information. Um, it's not something that's just out there talking, that people are talking about all the time. And if they have a chance to listen 
um, to a podcast, they might pick one. And uh, nobody's bringing this to them. And I think this information is really important because, again, it shows that, no, there are different types of leadership. There's There are different, I don't want to say schools of thought because I really think this is the best kind of leadership, but I think these stories are really helpful. So, Michael, why don't you go ahead and share yours with us? <coughs> yeah, so I'm happy to. Actually, it was it was uh, so I was meeting with a, a gentleman today who works uh, for me, who's um, a little bit older than I was um, at the time of my own story, and I was thinking, gosh, if he would just listen the way that I did to this gentleman when I was his age or younger, he'd be better off. But uh, who knows uh, if you will. <laughs> Takes a little bit of humility, I suppose. So I, so my, I, I wasn't a kid, but I was in, you know, sort of my mid to late twenties, and I had, a, I had what I would say was my first real boss, who, by the way, is still today, um, uh, I'm very close with. Now he's a, now he's a, just a, a friend, uh, which is better actually, because uh, mm-hmm. he's a big, tall, strong Irish guy who could probably beat beat the heck out of me. So I'm glad, I'm happy to be, I'm, I'm, it's better that we're friends than he's my boss. Um, so, so I thought this guy, his name is Mike, like me. And I thought he was just, uh, the greatest thing ever. And I, I work in wealth management, financial services, and he was just one of these big, you know, physical presence, but he is also just, a a, a, a big, um, his presence, you know, sort of charisma and personality was also a big presence. So it wouldn't have mattered what his physical mm-hmm. stature was. And he just had this really, some really unique ability um, and taught me really uh, at the essence how to be firm on issues without being firm on people. And I'm um, 28, 25 years later from that relationship, I still, uh, I still think very carefully about the notion of being firm on issues and topics without being firm on people, which means in another way of saying, without attacking people, without getting personal, without getting emotional, just focusing on the business or operating issues at hand. Um, And he did this by showing that he really cared about people and that he could be trusted, especially when it really mattered. And uh, that's, look, it's a very unique ability, but it, it can be done. And he did it by building a relationship and letting me know that he had my back and um, he was there to help me uh, figure out how to do my job. So in our book, later you'll find that um, he would be what we would call a teacher influence, teacher influence in that. um, So said another way, I didn't know what I was doing. Mm. This is my first real sort of leadership management job. I had really had no idea what I was doing. So at that time, all I really needed was to be taught how to do what I was doing because I didn't know what I was doing. I thought I did, but mm-hmm. I, he, he let me know pretty quickly I didn't, which was, you know, another way of saying, you know, he taught me how to do things the right way because I didn't have very much experience. And so the story, uh, and I'll shorten it now, the story that really changed my career in some respects, even my own life, uh, professionally speaking, which had a big impact on my personal life is we, we became very good friends outside of work too. And we, we both shared um, a number of things in common, including basketball. We used to play a lot together in games and pickup games and stuff like that and um, uh, situations like that. And so when one day when we were um, when we were done playing, we were actually oddly enough in a locker room. And <laughs> I had said to him that um, I, I, there was an opportunity inside of our company to move on to something um, what I thought was bigger and better, what would have meant um, no longer working from him. Actually, it would have meant moving out of the state. 
and so his reaction was, first of all, he was not oppositional to any ambition I had. But at the time, he didn't really think I was ready. He probably was right because I was, I was a real neophyte. But he turned to me and said, you know, in his sort of composed but, but sort of fierce manner, um, I actually talked to him this morning. I, I'm always I, when I hear his voice, I'm always just sort of reminded of of, of, of that, that that day. Uh, and he said, "You know, you know what I noticed about you?" And I said, "No, I don't." And he said, "You know, you never seem to really finish the job all the way through. You know, you're always looking for the exit door before you can actually measure, you know, what contribution you've made." And and it was rhetorical. And he said, "Why is that?" Uh, and he wasn't looking for an answer. He knew the answer already. Uh, and I just, I will just tell you that no one had ever been so honest with me and yeah. so direct with me about what they really saw. I felt like he was putting this proverbial mirror in front of my face and I needed the truth. He gave it to me and it hurt a lot. Uh, even though it wasn't personal, um, it was really a professional conversation. He wanted to help, but it really changed my life because from that moment on, um, I'll close by saying that I committed uh, to always finishing the job, always. With a, I didn't take that job, by the way. I stayed with him. I finished the job at hand. And ever since, it's been a laser focus really on, on uh, less about working hard, about effort, and more about getting the results that are expected. And that's, not, that's very hard for people uh, before moving on to the next project. So that's my story. That's, wow. I mean, two very personal and... Um stories of great leaders in your life who are transforming <clears throat> you in such different ways. So I can't wait to get further into all the different ways that leaders influence because yeah, I'm going to, this is your interview. So I'm going to stop talking because I can <laughs> talk so long. Now. Um, my question is, um, so why, why did you write this book, Glenn? Why, why, why this book? Well, I, I hadn't planned to write a, this book, or I hadn't planned to actually write any book. I thought I was kind of done uh, with with writing, um, and something happened that was very um, meaningful to me. Um, someone who had been a client of mine for about twenty years, and and in my field. Uh, Having a client for 20 years was quite unusual. Usually I came in, I did a project, and I left. So I, I worked for this gentleman in, his or, in the same organization for 20 years. Um, and um, I knew he had been ill, but I, I, and I wasn't surprised, but I, I got a notice that he had passed away, and it was going to be a memorial for him um, on Sunday. And so it... it I knew I was going to go, and I also started to think about his impact on me and um, my career. And um, so, what what happened is that he he, he again he got he, he got me to do things that I had never done before, and as a result, it really changed and expanded my ability to do a whole variety of different things. So I came in, I was the team uh, expert, and I came in and he wanted to create a team-based organization. And after a couple of years, you know, we, we accomplished that. And I thought, you know, this is probably close to my exit. And so, but he said to me, Glenn, I want you to do some customer service training. And 
he said, because, you know, my, all of my people deal directly with customers in one way or the other, either in the field directly or, or, or over the phone. So I said, you know, well, Bill, I really, I don't know that I don't really know anything about customer service. I've never done anything. And he turned to me and he said, you'll learn. And so I did because I knew what he was saying. He, he said, I want you to do it. And also, you know our organization. And what I want is whatever customer service training we do, I want it tailored to the kind of customer interactions that we have. I don't want something off the shelf. I, I want something that is is tailored to us. And so I did that, and it was successful. Um, and I stuck around for a couple more years to implement that. And then, you know, he said to me, uh, I just heard a notice that corporate is going to, we're going to have to go through a business ethics training. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, it's kind of a good thing to do. He said, but uh, I know I'm not going to like it. <laughs> and so he said, I want you to do business ethics training. Once again, I don't know anything about this, Bill. I said, you know, I think it's probably something you've got to get an attorney to do. It sounds like it has some legal implications. He said, you'll learn. So I learned. I learned how to do business ethics training. Um, and he, what he wanted, he's, he wanted it to be based on scenarios that might come up in, in, in his workplace. And so that's what I did. And I became sort of a minor expert in business ethics and suddenly developed a line of business with other companies. Um, and that's the kind of thing that happened. And at a certain point, um, he said to me, you know, the, the leadership team of the company wants to have an off-site team building. And he said, I've recommended you. And this was a big deal for me because I had never worked at the top of the house in any company. And so I said, well, thank you very much. And he said, here's the number to call. And I they set up an appointment to go meet with the leadership team. And they were going to question me about, I guess, how I would approach it. And I said to him, um, I said, do you have any advice for me? I'm going into this meeting. He said, yeah, don't fuck it up. <laughs> and, you know, it, and it was, this was really, it was, it had a lot of impact. You know why? Because I never, I'd never heard him curse before. <laughs> he had a back, his background, although he, he was not at all conservative, um, but his background in terms of his tone, and he, he did not easily use curse words. Mm -hmm. And so basically, we know what he was saying to me, Mike, you know what he was saying to me? I recommended you. Yeah. So <laughs> don't make me look bad. <laughs> don't make me look bad. And I know you can do it. So I went ahead and I did it. And this was before cell phones. So on a Friday night at like 730 at night, I'm totally exhausted. I've been with these people for like, you know, two and a half days. And uh, I, before I got on the road to drive home, I, you know, I, I happened to have his home number because with then we were good friends. And I called his home number on Friday night. He answered the phone and I said, guess what? I didn't fuck it up. <laughs> <laughs> I hung up the phone. So um, that's the kind of people that make a difference in your life. You know, they get you to do things that you hadn't done before, but they also position you for success. If you think about the story that I told you about Larry, mm -hmm. 
Now, Larry didn't say to me, um, well, you, I want you to teach that two-day class. I'll sit in the back and I'll give you feedback about how you're doing. No, he gave me t- a two-hour unit that yeah. he knew I could handle and not more than that. And so I, that's what positive influence leaders do. They position you to be successful. And that's one of the key learnings that we got from the research that we did. So I hope that helps. That is, is extremely helpful. Michael, do you have anything that you want to add to that? No, I think you covered uh, no, he t- it. <laughs> yeah, he covered it. That was um, pretty comprehensive. Yeah, and, you know, for one of the reasons why this is such an important topic to me personally is because that's actually the leadership that I kind of grew up with as well in many different scenarios. And especially when I became, when I was training to become an, a school administrator, that's my my internship. I was very lucky to have an incredible mentor who knew to do that, like throw you in, right? Where you feel like I might I might die, but he knows that I'm not going to die, right? But I feel like I'm going to. But he knew just how much I could handle. Gave me a little bit more than that, and but but I knew he had the confidence in me too. And I wish that more people had that opportunity to be to have that kind of mentorship and training and leadership and um, because it really is what helps us develop the best. And so I it's one thing for me to stand here and say, oh, my mentor was great. But to hear your stories and, and your research about that is really helpful. Well, also, what we, one of the reasons we wrote the book is because we believe that um, everybody can do this. Yeah. Uh, if they understand what it takes to be a positive influence leader, everybody has the capacity to do that within them. And the reason for the book and the reason for the resources in the book is to bring that out in people. I'm so glad that you said that because it's not like you have to find a specific program at a university to go learn this. It's what you're doing with the scenarios and, um, it's, it's really, it's almost like mini case studies everywhere, right? Like this is where this has gone well. This is where this has worked. This is what it took to make it work. Right. Here are the tools. Go do it. It works. So you don't have to go through some huge leadership program at a, at a university in order to be a po- an effective leader. So thanks for doing all that work for us and <laughs> sharing it. Um, um, all right. So we are talking about the research that you did to write the book and the creative process. Um, And we've heard you share a few scenarios, but tell us about these in-depth interviews because I know the power of qualitative research. I've conducted it and I know that changed me when when I did it and what I was able to provide for people was extremely valuable because, but a lot of time goes into it. So tell us about how you how you did this research, Michael, what went into this process and the creative process around it? Sure. Um, I think we say, you know, the book was, was based largely on, on 50 interviews, but uh, I think the reality was more like we spoke to probably combined between the two of us, probably about a hundred people. The book is informed really by 50 interviews uh, with people from diverse backgrounds and different industries and gender ethnic backgrounds, jobs, uh, industries, uh, people born in this country, outside this country. Um, but the, you know, the original thesis, which you sort of have to have a hypothesis or a thesis of some sort going into it is that, uh, I think, and, and looking back, it still makes sense that we would have thought this, that there would be one sort of singular 
uh, profile or model for a positive influence leader, right? There, mm-hmm. Naturally, there should just be one way of doing this. Um, and we were looking for a profile of a positive influence leader. And so the interviews became quite revealing. It's probably the, I, I would say we both would agree that it was the most enjoyable, fun part mm-hmm. of doing this, right? Writing is less, not, at least for me, it's not as fun as, as um, learning about people, right? Meeting mm-hmm. people. And we did it, I don't know, we, 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 you know, it's kind of funny. It's like we both had our own experiences, right? Going out on the road and doing things, meeting people at bars and their homes and, um, uh, a variety of places you do what you do what you can to get in front of um, influential people who've had real success yeah. in life. Um, I would, you know, that's why we're doing this again. That was a really, at least for me, it's really fun part uh, of, of doing this, getting to know people. People are interesting, actually endlessly right. interesting. Uh, and I work in New York and every time I walk on the street, I just said, there's people all over the place. It's like, um, <laughs> and it's the most diverse place. I mean, it's just the most interesting, eclectic, uh, place in the world, and there's tons of people to talk to uh, about this. So, uh, anyway, we discovered that, in fact, we were in large part um, our thesis was a little faulty. There wasn't just one one style of leadership, which I think we may get to today. There was actually four styles of positive yeah. influence leadership. So, uh, uh, in doing all this, and you know, you, you it's iterative, right? You think you've got the set of questions down. Uh, that will lead to the outcome that you want. And then you start revising that based upon experiences like, oh, shoot, you know, that person took me in a different direction. I didn't expect them to talk about negative influences, right? I thought we were just Mm -hmm. talking about positive influence. And, you know, you have to sort of evolve and and be adaptable. Anyway, we created an interview guide nevertheless. Uh, And it mostly was centered around one core question, which was who was that positive influence in your life? I don't, by the way, I can tell you, it doesn't matter who you speak to. If someone someone um, <clears throat> says, hey, hey, I heard you wrote a book and you start talking about it, people want to talk about that themselves, even if I'm not interviewing them, by the way. Mm-hmm. Frankly, if I'm not interested in your interviewing, they still want to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Um, so, hey, by the way, I'm not interviewing for you for this book. Um, so, uh, but the guide, you know, we had a number of, as you can imagine, um, uh, sort of peel the onion, several discovery questions, but core to the discussion with people we interviewed was without really I just put it in quotes without this person, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be where I am today. And I, I, I am guilty oftentimes of making this uh, a lot of, a lot um, centered around sports analogies because I like sports and, and, and it's just easy, right? It's low brain activity to talk about athletes and there's so many stories about, I love the hall of fame induction speeches in any sport. They, you know, there's so many of them are talking about, um, you know, their mother or father or coach or whatever, especially early age. Yeah. And it's like, you just can't deny like what happened in their lives. Like if it hadn't been for mom who worked six jobs, right. Five jobs yeah. for my brother and I, we didn't have furniture. We, you know, it, it, it just motivated me to be, and forget about all the people who came later. Right. Those are wonderful people, but I wouldn't even have gotten that far. So anyway, we, it became a bit of a professional, very focused listening tour, not to be not to be con- confused with anything that was cavalier. This was very focused, very formal way of getting mm-hmm. to the truth. Right. Um, yeah. Because once you ask that question that I mentioned, who's that positive influence? You're like that person who who you would not be here if it were not for that person today. And it turned out to be even more productive when our 
our, our targets or our interviewees had the questions in advance. So it's iterative, like we learned quickly. I did. I think my, my father did too. Like, shoot, I should have sent the questions in advance. They would have been far more prepared, <laughs> duh, right? Uh-huh. Uh, I'm, I thought uh-huh. I was a professional. So it turned out to be more productive when they had that in advance. So they really thought about it. They took it very seriously. It's like, if you're coming to them, I'm writing a book. I'm going to interview you for this book. That means like you might be in this book and they take right. it very seriously. And even subsequently for this, this next book, I've interviewed, uh, uh, principals of schools, superintendents of schools, mayors of towns. Uh, and they are, I, it's amazing. The edu- the people in the academic world, it's, it's so different. They come in, they're so prepared, scripted, written <laughs> answers, right? I love it. I just would like to interview just people in the academic world. It would be great. There's no winging it. Anyway, so uh, that's a long-winded way of saying that's sort of what we did. We created an interview guide. It had a a core question, appeal the onion set of discovery questions from there. But you have to be flexible and be prepared to adapt because they may take you in places you didn't expect. And you got to let them go there as long as you get that what what you're looking for. But we did yeah. ultimately. I mentioned. I alluded to this. We did run into. We can. We can maybe get to this later or another time. Um, it wasn't just about positive influence. Negative influences came up. I will tell you. Um, you may not know this. Is that uh, as you can imagine, once it was complete and we got an we got a publisher and everything, we were excited. We were ready to release the book in May of 2020. We all remember. We were right in the teeth of the pandemic. Um, uh, I think in large part, we made the decision on our own to put it on hold. Uh, and then that allowed us to start the, the, the early stage work that we're working on now in earnest on the second book, which is leadership in the time of crisis. It seemed like a good idea at the time. Of course, we're still in that in large part. Um, so we just scratched the surface there, but anyway, that allowed us to, uh, you know, let, let, um, priorities, uh, take hold over our book, right. Uh, which mm-hmm. is what we were going through. So we ended up um, launching it later in September of 20, which I think was a good move. And now we're on to um, the next the next project. I'm really, really excited for our next uh, episode that we will have and we'll get into covering. So, okay, what do leaders need to do to lead effectively in a time of crisis? But for today, the value that you've provided to, to me, I, I'm really grateful to both of you because um, these the conversations, Glenn, that you and I have had prior to this and tonight's conversation really light me up and give me a lot of hope and excitement and motivation. And I appreciate you for the work that you've done. And I want to thank you too for taking so much time to be on on our episode tonight and then for committing to coming back uh, and being here with us again to talk about leadership in a time of crisis. So thank you so much uh, for everything that you've done and for being on the episode tonight. I enjoyed the conversation. Thank, thank you very much. You're, you're, you're a great listener, and that's the key to being a really good interviewer. Well, I would like to thank Glenn for that great compliment at the end of the episode. I'm really thankful to them for giving us some insight into what positive influence leadership is. And next time, we're going to get into what the four different types are. And how do you know what type of positive influence leader you are? We're then going to transition into their latest work on leadership in times of crisis. And I think we are going to get so much out of that because especially being in education, 
the last couple of years have been one giant crisis. And before that too, right? So we crisis isn't like a new word that we're hearing associated with education. It's just that there's an additional pandemic crisis that we've had on our hands. And there are ways to lead through this that don't lead to people leaving the field. And so I'm really eager to hear from Glenn and Michael on what they have found about what leaders have done during this time to continue to be what their employees need in order to feel safe, in order to feel trusted, in order to feel productive, and to stay in their roles. Because at the end of the day, that's my mission, is to create a country where we can do that in education. So I look forward to talking to them next time. Again, that episode will be in a couple of weeks. Until then, have an incredible week, and I will see you next time. Take care.